Thank you, Valente family. That was special. We had almost all of them. Of course, Jacob is in Okinawa, what a, being a hero for our nation, for our family, for our church. But uh, what you didn't know is uh, Joy's birthday is today. She's celebrating her 29th again, so I want to congratulate her on that. Thank you, Joy, <laughs> for sharing this day with us. And we are so glad that you are here. We're so glad whether you're joining us online, you're here live with us in the sanctuary. This is a very exciting day. This is fourth Advent, only four more sleeps until we are finally at Christmas Eve. I can't wait. Even in 2020, are, 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 can we even allow ourselves the excitement for Christmas, even in 2020, with all that's going on, not only here in our city and here in our church and here in our families, but literally all around the world? Can we allow ourselves the excitement? Because you remember, that's what Advent means, the excited expectation. I heard an amen, so I'm going to go with it. <laughs> we can allow ourselves this excited anticipation of the coming of our Lord and King, Jesus Christ. In, in, in some churches, they only celebrate today, the Sunday before Christmas, but our church is blessed. We get to celebrate for four weeks at least. Jesus is coming, four more sleeps, and he's here. But you and I know he's already here. And because he's here, he's in your heart. He's in my heart. Because he's already here, he is already loving our city, loving our neighbors, loving our community through us. And that is so important. You know how it works with Advent. Each Sunday in Advent has a different theme. You see them painted up and put all around our church, even up here up front. Themes like joy and hope and peace. And today, the theme is love. Loving in our differences. How important is that? How different are we? It is so important and yet so difficult to love in our differences. Well, I know what you're thinking. I, it might not be so difficult because, after all, we say uh, opposites attract. So maybe it's okay to be different because maybe somehow our differences draw us together. And, and for you and your spouse, that may be true. Opposites often do attract. Uh, sometimes we look at folks and think, how in the world is he or how in the world is she ever going to find their special someone? I know here at church we talk a lot about Greek words and Hebrew words, but let me teach you a little German phrase you're going to need if you're looking for that special someone. The German phrase is, jeder Topf hat sein Deckel, right? It sounds like I'm, I'm, I'm cursing at you, right, because it's German, right? No, jeder Topf hat sein Deckel, a few German speakers among us, they know what that means. Every pot has its top. Every pot has its top, and that means no matter how different someone is, how unique someone is gifted, or how uh, extremely uh, opposite they are from you, God has created just the perfect top for that little pot, and God will bring them together. So that may work in our relationships. That may work in a husband and a wife finding each other and living many, many years together. But what about normal folks? How easy, how possible, is it even an option to say that even in our differences, we're going to love each other. I don't know if that's true. I would dare say that our differences don't draw us together. Certainly don't. I wouldn't say that opposites attract all the time. I would say that our differences actually repel us from each other. I mean, think about it for a second. 
Think about the differences just, just in our own culture of race, of politics, of religion, of eco-socioeconomic situation, of culture, all the different differences there are just walking down the street of your neighborhood, walking down the, the street where you live, how different the people are. Are you drawn to people who are different to you or does that naturally repel you? Because here's the deal to get along with, to associate with, to understand even more so love people who are different from you or even receive love from people who are different than you, that takes work. And not all of us are willing to invest that kind of work. It's incredibly difficult because we have to understand, we have to study, we have to be patient, we have to listen, we have to try to, to put ourselves in their shoes, and that takes way more work than most of us, many of us are willing to invest in a relationship. It is much easier to hang out with, associate with, relate to, give and receive love from people that are just like me because they think like me and they act like me. And they talk like me, and they laugh like me, and they, they, they think like I do. And so it's just easier. We, we slide into our default mode. We slide into what is known. We slide into what's familiar. We slide into what is comfortable. It's work to get out of that. Folks, here's the deal. Speaking as someone who, has, who God has taken out of his natural culture and put him into a different culture, we have a few of us that have lived in other cultures around the world for, for missions or just for work or for other reasons, I have, I have experienced love in a deep way that, that I don't even know that I've experienced here in my own culture, in cultures that are very different from my own. God has allowed me to receive love and to share love in ways that I don't even know that I've experienced here in my own culture. It is possible, and it is the blessing that I wish for all of you. And, I, and here's the best thing. Many of us say, well, you know, Pastor, I don't know if that's really my thing. Uh, you, you missionary types, or you pastor types, or, or folks that have more time on their hand, y'all, you, you can go worry about folks that are different. I, it's all I can do is just, just corral my crowd and hang out with the people that are like me and that I like. I don't know about loving folks that are different. How in the world can I, can I do that? Well, God, here's the deal. God led by example. Let me read the text for us today. We're going to read uh, two different texts today as we study what it means to love in our differences. One piece out of the Christmas story and then a different text in the New Testament that points us right back to that Christmas story. But let me read you the text out of Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and find out exactly why it is so important to love even in our differences. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it's going to come up on the screen. You may have it in your Bible app if you choose the event section, and then our church, you'll have all the notes right there. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says it this way. This is how the birth of Jesus and Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him 
Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean again? God with us. Here's the whole point. Folks, as long as we stay where we're comfortable, as long as we stay hunkered down, as long as we stay sheltered in, as long as we just stay with our kind, folks that think like us, believe like us, act like us, listen and, and, and talk like us, we will never be like Jesus. You, you think Jesus didn't have it good in heaven. You think where he was seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, being praised, honored, and glorified by, by angels, millions of angels, you think that wasn't a nice gig? And he left all of that to be here with you. How different can you get? Now, I like y'all. You're nice folks, but you're no angel. Jesus led by example. He's saying, I am leaving my comfort zone. <laughs> if there is ever a picture of comfort zone, it's heaven. I am leaving my comfort zone. I am getting uncomfortable to get my, my hands dirty, my feet dirty, my body dirty, even to the point of death share love with those that are different from me. As, as, as nice and as good and as sweet as y'all are, you're not like Jesus at that point until he came and he filled you with his spirit and he changed you radically. He did that for you. And so now he is asking us to do the same thing in this world. Yes, outside of this building, people are different than you and me. I get it. They don't think, they don't vote, act like you and me. But God is calling us to be like Jesus. God with us means you going and hang out with your neighbor. You going and hang out with your colleague. You going and hang out with the, the folks at, at the festival in the downtown of Cape Coral. Yes, they're different. Yes, you're different. Yes, it's uncomfortable. But Jesus led by example. So uh, what is this going to look like? Let's take Joseph, first of all, as an example. And then we're going to dig into this word love that I, help, I think will give you some good points on how to do that every day. We must follow Jesus' example and be God with us, even with our friends, even with our neighbors. Let's look at the, 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 the example of Joseph. Look back at Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Uh, after all this, the Bible says, But after Joseph had considered, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Let's, let's look at this for a second. The Bible says after, after getting all of this news, he considered this. What, what kind of news are we talking about? Let's think about Joseph for a second. He had it all figured out. I mean, he had, he had a trade that he had learned from his father. He had a sweet, probably beautiful little girl that his mom and dad and her mom and dad had handpicked just for them. Well, sure, they handpicked him, but I'm sure he had, he had a little bit to say in that. He'd been eyeing her for some time, and finally, finally, his parents got a hold of her parents, brought the two together, and they were engaged. You think they hadn't talked about the future? You think they hadn't dreamed together about the future? For all we know, they may have already started naming their kids. I mean, it was an exciting time for young Joseph. She was a, a child for you and me. In those days, she was maybe 13 maybe 14 years old. They were engaged for a year, maybe two. By the time she was 16, they were going to be married, have their own place, and move off. Joseph had it all figured out. The trade, the perfect girl. He even knew where they were going to build their house. Back in those days, they would have added on an addition, maybe a second story to her family or to his family, and they had that all figured out. He had perfect plans for them, for their future, even maybe for their grandkids. And then here comes God with a big old two-by-four, Bam! Right across the forehead. Oh, by the way, Joseph, that perfect girl who fit in that perfect plan for your perfect dreams and perfect life, she's pregnant, and it's not yours. 
Oh, and by the way, it's 2,000 years ago in a small Jewish village. Deal with it. You want to talk about you want to talk about considering? You know, we, we read that word consider and we look at all this beautiful Christmas decoration. That word consider sounds like, oh, and he pondered it. And he quietly thought about it because it's Christmas and it's all about peace and candlelight and, and solitude. It was nothing like that. In fact, the word, the word consider means to, to boil over, to passionately wrestle with. It's not about sweetly considering and sweetly pondering, oh, what does all this mean to me? He was raving mad about this. He was angry. For all we know, he was shaking his fist at God. We know that he did not show any anger towards Mary. In fact, because he loved the law, because he loved God, and because he loved Mary, he was going to take care of it privately because he didn't want to hurt her, but he knew that he could have no part of this kind of lifestyle. That's not the kind of man he was. But God bless him. He pondered. He considered. Maybe he even stewed about it passionately, but he took time. How often do we miss that point in our life? when God comes and gets us right across the forehead with a two-by-four called COVID, called unemployment, called cancer, called uh, breakup of a marriage or breakup of a relationship with someone that we love, and we had plans, and we had uh, expectations, and we had a future all figured out. It was all supposed to work a certain way in that two-by-four, and we get mad at the world, and we get mad at our spouse, and we get mad at our kids, and we get mad at God, and none of it changes because a two-by-four cannot be stopped, and then we're stuck there like, uh, like Joseph. Now, Joseph took time to ponder, but many of us don't. At that point, we throw in the towel, and we quit. At that point, when that two-by-four hits us and our dreams, our hopes, our expectations are broken, we fight back. We say things we shouldn't have said. We do things we shouldn't have done. But Joseph didn't do that. He led by example. He considered. Yes, he wrestled with it. Yes, he was passionate about it. But look what God did because he was faithful to do it that way. His response was not to ponder and think, but to passionately wrestle. And that gave God the opportunity to, it says right here, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Here's what happens when we take time to consider. God speaks to us. God talks to us. God begins to clarify the situation. It's still a two-by-four. I mean, even after God did all of this, his little engaged little uh, wife-to-be was still pregnant, and it wasn't his kid, but at least he understood. God speaks, and he clarifies. He begins to change Joseph's heart. He shows him that this is his plan, and then at the very end, it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. He begins to show Joseph how all of this, as, as uncomfortable and as different and as unplanned as it was, was all a part of God's plan. God knew what he was doing. This wasn't by accident let's think about let's think about where we're at right now 2020 the year of covid oh god how we're all praying dear father we are all praying that we are coming out of this in 2021 but the truth is none of us really know anything how will you respond 
Will you throw in the towel? Will you respond in anger? Will you say things you're not supposed to say, do things you're not supposed to do? Will you cancel God like our cancel culture has become so popular in doing? God is saying, wrestle with it, that's fine. Shake your fist at me if you must, but continue the conversation. I will show you what is be. Be like Joseph. Consider and ponder and wrestle if you much, but must, but as you do it, God will speak and he will show that your world is not falling apart, but rather the pieces are falling into place. God is speaking to us. But how is that supposed to work? As God began working in Joseph's life and began showing them how he could love things and people and, and situation, even plans that are different than he, than he expected, God began to show him a new way to love. And so we're going to take a jump to a different passage written by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. Let me read this for us, and it's going to give us some understanding of what love is as we're loving out of this new context. God is bringing us out of our context where we had everything planned, everything scheduled, everything prepared for the perfect 2020. He's brought us into a new context, and we, many of us, have hunkered down. And we've shut ourselves in and we said, I'm not going to do anything. 2020, I get a pass. Father God, in 2020, I get a mulligan. I don't need to do anything. I don't want to do anything. I don't have to do anything. I'm staying here. But God says, no, in this new context, this is how you show love. Look at Romans chapter 12. Let me read it for us. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 13. Your love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. All right, that's just a little chunk of a fantastic passage written by the Apostle Paul talking about love. But I believe in this passage, we understand how we are to love differently in this new context where we find ourselves in 2020, heading into 2020. One, look at this, n number one. It says, your love must be sincere. That word sincere, we've talked about that word before. It means authentic. It means genuine. It means not hypocritical. In fact, the word sincere is actually two Latin words put together. And the two Latin words are without, and the second word is wax, candle wax. So here's the deal, the whole teachable moment. Let your love be without wax. Okay, point number two. You get it? Here's the deal. Back in those days, they didn't go down to Walmart and get a frying pan. They had pots, clay pots. They would put that clay pot over the fire and they'd cook their stew or their soup or whatever they're, whatever they're cooking in the pot. Well, when you went down to the market to get you a new pot, some of these, uh, uh, well, Germany we call them shysters. I don't know what you call them here, uh, tricksters. tricksters. If, if their pot broke in the making of it, they might take a little candle wax, mix it with a little clay and stick that pot back together and try to sell it as a good pot. If a young housewife wasn't careful, she might buy that pot, take it home, fill it up with all the yummy fixins. She'd take that pot full of yummy food, lay it on the fire. What would happen when that wax hit the fire? Well, of course, it all melt and fall apart, and she'd ruin the meal. So that was the problem. He said, let your love be without wax. No falsehood. Make sure it's genuine. It's the real deal. It will stand even in the fire. Because God's saying, as long as we are fake, as long as we are phony, the love will never be real. I remember 
in Germany when this, when this idea hit me. Uh, you know, as, as missionaries, pretty much the deal is you, you, you move to a new country, you learn a new culture, you even learn a new language, and then you move to a new little city or village somewhere there, and you start a new church. And the way that works is you just start going grocery shopping and taking your kids to the playground and, and taking walks around the neighborhood and just trying to meet people. And as you meet people, you talk about the weather and you talk about the children and you talk about God. And, and sometimes those people are interested and you continue the conversation about God till you can share the gospel. And then some of those people accept Christ and you start a Bible study that grows up into a church. That's kind of the whole process in a nutshell. It takes a very long time, but that's how it works. So after some time in Germany, I thought I had gotten pretty good at starting conversations with folks. My language was getting better, and I could start with kids and weather and playgrounds and move quickly to the gospel and then share the gospel story with them. Until the day, my neighbor said, hey, Dave, I'd like to come over for a coffee. Can we chat? And I'm thinking, this is great. Sure, come on over. I don't even have to go to them anymore. Now they're coming to me. I thought, this is perfect. I got this missionary thing down. Well, he came in. We're drinking a cup of coffee. We're talking about the kids. We're talking about the weather. We're talking about sports. And then he comes with his spiel. He wanted to sell me insurance. I didn't even see it coming. He was so smooth. He was pulling a Dave. And I got sick to my stomach. I thought, oh my goodness, is that, is, am I a used car salesman for Jesus? This whole bait and switch thing, had I, had I really done that? I, I didn't think I had, so what did I do? Did I stop talking to people about Jesus? Of course not. But I was very upfront, I was very straightforward. I said, hey listen, I've, I've got some really important things I'd love to talk to you about, things that changed my life, things that changed my family's life. Would you be open to a coffee? I'd love to talk to you more about that. I was very open, very transparent, very genuine. Your love must be genuine. Your love must be real. No hypocrisy, no falsehood, because, folks, I tell you what, I, we work with teenagers a lot now. Our, our youth group is a tremendous group of very, very, too smart young people. These kids are way too smart. I was not that smart when I was their age. They look right through you, folks. Now, you mommies and daddies, you already know that. <laughs> but they look right through you. This whole, the phony baloney, fake it till you make it, that don't work with teenagers today. They look right through that. So let that be a lesson. Our love must be genuine. Number two, our love must be discerning. Look at verse 9 again. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Hate what is evil. We don't like to read that word in the Bible, do we? You know, because Jesus is about love, right? And God's about love, and, and we're just supposed to love each other. We don't hate. That's like the, the S word, the, the oopid word. We don't say that word at home, you know? No one's, well, no one's oopid because <laughs> you're not supposed to say that. It's the same with hate. You don't hate anybody. You don't hate anything if you're a Christian unless, unless it's evil. Here's the deal. That's exactly what the enemy wants us to think. Oh, don't hate evil. <laughs> Let it slide in the back door. The Bible says that love, true love, love that makes a difference and love that loves in the difference, true love hates evil. Folks, don't ever stop being shocked by the evil that is constantly bombarding your brain. 
whether it's social media, whether it's your neighbors, whether it's the, the, the television set, whether it's Netflix, whatever, wherever that evil is coming from, I pray that you would never stop being shocked by the evil that is constantly bombarding us. I pray that it would always shock you back into reality. Here's the problem. The first time, uh, let's just, not, not that I'm picking on, I feel like I'm always picking on Netflix. I watch Netflix, so, so I'm, not, I'm not a Netflix hater, but, but let's say you're watching Netflix, a, a new television show you've never seen before. The first time a curse word comes up, ooh, you, you kind of jump. You look around to make sure your kids aren't there <laughs> hearing it, and, and, and you may even turn it off, saying, oh, I, I don't want to be a part of this. A week goes by. Well, it was kind of a good show would like to kind of find out what happened at the end of that show. Did they get the bad guy or not? So I'll, I'll watch again the second time it comes up, the third time. By the fourth time, you don't even, it just goes right over your head. You don't even catch it anymore. I'm not saying stop watching Netflix and Netflix of the devil. That's not the point of the sermon. I'm just saying please don't ever stop being shocked by the evil that is constantly bombarding us because that's how it begins. We must understand Love is blind, they say, but that is not true. Love must have both eyes open. Not every relationship is good. Not every choice is good. Not every friendship you enter into is good. Not every job that you are considering taking is good. Not every purchase that you may make this Christmas season is a good idea. There's two tests we must uh, in, involve ourselves in every time before we make a choice. Number one, we must know what is right. And number two, we must have the courage to do what is right. Folks, in every situation, love must discern. Love is not blind. Love has both eyes open, and it is not loving to sweep things under the rug. It is not loving to allow things to happen in your home that do not please God. It is not loving to allow people to say and do and be about things in your presence that do not honor God. We must have our eyes open to know what is right and to do what is right. Let me make a jump, if you don't mind, all the way to verse 13. Your love, this kind of love that loves even indifferences, must be generous. Look at verse 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Now, those are two big goals. Let's take the, just the first part, that sharing with the Lord's people. That word share is the Greek word koinonia. Now, I know we've had that word before. Does anyone remember what koinonia means? We say it actually all the time, even like it's an English word. It's become so popular. Fellowship, exactly right. Fellowship, and it's a special kind of fellowship. Actually, even that word fellowship, you wouldn't normally use the word fellowship outside the walls of the church. You, if you're hanging out with friends, you say, we're, well, we're hanging out with friends. You wouldn't say, oh, me and my next door neighbor, we enjoy some nice fellowship. <laughs> That's just not how you say it, because fellowship is, is kind of a Christian word. It, 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 it involves something deeper than just, you know, having a burger together, uh, you know, hanging out together. Fellowship goes deeper, and the, the actual Greek word koinonia means to, to come together with both parties bringing something and both parties receiving something. So that's the difference. Koinonia means uh, not, not just all be in the same room together. That's just community. But, but fellowship or koinonia means everyone involved brings something and everyone involved takes something. Now I'll give you a good example of that. Today at 4 p.m., our church has celebrated the Lottie Moon uh, auction for years. This year, it's today at 4 p.m., is BYOB, bring your own baked goods. <laughs> we're going to have coffee all set up for you, and we're, everyone's going to bring a, a fun gift 
already wrapped, and then we auction those gifts off, and every dollar, every penny that folks donate goes towards Lottie Moon. So everyone brings something, and everyone takes something home. That's exactly what fellowship. So this word for share is this. It's the verb form of that. So what is God saying? True love, love that, that happens in between people, even those that are different, true love is this, I want you to go fellowship each other. God's saying, in the church, I want you to go fellowship with your brothers. Go fellowship all over your, your sisters and brothers and other families in the church. He's commanding us to, to take part in and to receive from the relationships that you have in the church. That is love. That is fellowship. That is koinonia. That is how we love, even in our differences, when everyone brings something and receives something. When you give something... When you give uh, to God or, or, or to Lottie Moon or, or just to a, another family in the church, are you giving off the top? Or are you scraping the bottom what might be left over that you might share in a pinch? God is calling us to always share and to give and to fellowship and to koinonia from the top, from the best that we have, from the best that we own, from the best in our hearts. And then finally, number four, love is hospitable. Folks, this is huge, and, and if you stick around for 2021, you're going to hear this over and over and over again. This is huge for the coming year to, to bless those that, that we have been blessed by God, and because we have been blessed, we are passing that blessing on. We are not a, a reservoir of God's blessings. We are rather a conduit or a, or a running river, a flowing river of those blessings so that as those blessings come to us, we pass them on to our neighbors. We pass them on to our community we pass them on to our world this is exactly what god's saying true love is hospitable uh, that word for for love and and practicing hospitality is the word philozania it's a greek word that means the love of friends and family right no 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 not at all it means the love of strangers the love of strangers now, hold on. We're talking about the church family. <laughs> we're, we're like, a, we're, we even call each other, hey, brother, hey, sister. Like, we're a big family. We, we love each other because we're related. We have Jesus and God as our heavenly father. Why would we talk about loving strangers? Well, God let out on this. You may remember another verse in, in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8. While we were yet sinners, put in the word strangers, God loved us and sent his son Jesus to die for us on the cross. While we were still sinners and strangers, God loved us so much that he gave the very best off the top for you and for me. God loved us that way. He is the OG, the original xenophile, the lover of strangers. And God is asking you and he's asking me to do the same. Do you have room in your heart, not only for your brothers and sisters here, but to love those who are different from you? Let me close with a story that I told you last year. I love this story about little Freddie. <laughs> he loved the big Christmas pageant every year. You remember when churches used to do the big Christmas pageant, the, the living nativity scene? He always wanted to play one of the big roles, but Freddie, he, he had trouble talking, and he couldn't memorize things very well. He, he couldn't think like the other kids. He couldn't talk like the other kids, so year for year, he got one of those non-speaking roles. He'd worked his way through all the sheep. He'd been sheep number three and sheep number two, sheep number one, and then he made it all the way to the shepherds. He'd been shepherd number five, four, three, two, 
one, but this year he knew it. He was finally ready to get a speaking role, and he'd asked his Sunday school teacher. He even asked the pastor to put a good word in for him. He said, I'm ready, pastor. Let me do one, and the thought about it said, okay, Freddie, you can be the innkeeper. It's just one line. All you have to do is say, no, there's no room in the inn. Freddie thought he could do that, and for weeks he practiced, and for weeks he studied, and at every single rehearsal, when it finally came time for Freddie to say his line, he failed. <laughs> Not once in all of those weeks did he get it right. He, it didn't come out right, or it didn't come out at all. So on the night of the big performance, the church was packed. Little Mary and little Joseph were making their way to the door of the inn. Little Joseph knocks on the door, and, and sure enough, Freddie opens the door, and you could have heard a pin drop. Everyone knew the story. Everyone knew what was happening. Everyone was praying for little Freddie, and nothing came out. <laughs> he just stared with big eyes. Mary even tried to help, say, Sir, do you have any room in the inn? <laughs> Silence. Joseph said, May we come in, innkeeper? Silence. Well, little Mary and little Joseph shook their heads and began walking away. When all of a sudden, in that silence of the moment, you heard Freddie scream at the top of his lungs. He said, wait, you can have my room. <laughs> Freddie got it wrong, didn't he? That's not how the story goes. There's no room in the end. That's how the story goes. But there was room in his heart. Folks, as God is calling us to love differently. These are different times. We're in a different context. There are different people living around us, working around us, uh, doing life around us. It's all different. But God is calling us to live and to love differently today. Folks, if you don't love differently, who will? They're not going to find it on the news. They're not going to find it in social media. They're not going to find it on the television. They're not going to find it in other neighbors. If you as believers who have already seen God come down and leave his throne, leave his comfort zone to enter into this world to love you first while you were still strangers, how will the world ever learn that if you don't tell them? Folks, I'm going to give you a perfect opportunity. Thursday night, 5 p.m., 6.30 p.m. right here. You don't even have to really say much. We have invitations. You can just go to your neighbor and hand him an invitation. Say, I would love to see you there on Thursday night. We're going to uh, have beautiful music, our awesome worship band, and tell the Christmas story. We'll be lighting candles and singing Silent Night. I'll be sharing a brief message but giving a very clear gospel presentation. Your friend, your neighbor, your colleague, your family member will hear the gospel on Thursday night. Will you love them enough to invite them on Thursday? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your incredible example of true love. By loving us while we were still strangers, God, you have empowered us, modeled for us, and encouraged us to go and love others, even those that are different from us. So God, as we do that today and all this week especially, I pray that you would empower us and encourage us, give us the right words, give us boldness, and give us the patience and the love and even the grace to do that with at least one person this week. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Well, folks, we, um, we have a big Sunday ahead of us. We have uh, enjoyed a time of worship with our band, a, a time of reading out of God's Word. Uh, there's still a very exciting time coming up in just a moment outside. As you were coming in, you probably saw the baptismal. This morning, four folks are going to get baptized. They're going public with their faith. The decision has already been made in their hearts. We've talked personally, and now they want the whole church, the whole city to know that they are now a follower of Jesus Christ. So that, that will happen in just a moment. But before we head out the door to celebrate that, that step of obedience for these four folks, uh, we're going to just take some time just to get quiet. At our church, we celebrate what's called open communion. That means if you are a believer, whether you're a member here or elsewhere, we invite you to participate in the Lord's Supper with us. It's a very simple service. In fact, uh, thanks to COVID, we actually do it with a, a simple little cup. You probably received one. If you didn't, Mr. Greg is there. He can bring you one. Just wave your hand in the air, and he'll bring you one. And as you open that, you'll find on top the little wafer, and then you open the second little fold, and you'll find the juice on the inside. As we do this, here at our church, we talk about letting this opportunity be kind of like a, a spiritual reset. We do this about once a month at our church, and it's an opportunity for us to come back in line with what God has called us to do, to remind ourselves what Jesus did for us, not only on the cross, obviously, but even through his whole life. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, my brother. Not only on the cross, but through his entire life as he taught and he did miracles and he preached and he led by example. And then, of course, his death on the cross. So that's why we celebrate the bread and the wine and the juice, celebrating his life and his death, because that is what gives us the opportunity to know God and to have eternal life. So let me pray with us. We're going to read the passage. We're going to participate in the Lord's Supper together, and then we'll be finished here, and we'll be moving together out for the awesome, exciting baptismal service. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, in our lives. We thank you, God, for this opportunity to have this spiritual reset where you remind us again why we do this and why we follow the king of the universe. Not only, God, your, your words and your sermons and your teachings and your miracles, but God, what you did on the cross by sacrificing your life for us. God, that not only changed the world and history, that changed our lives personally, specifically. I am no longer who I was. Each one of us that knows you is no longer the old man, the old woman. We are a new creation. And that happened because of what you did on the cross for us. So God, bring us back into line with that. Remind us of the importance of that experience, how that will... Uh, lead, guide, and direct us in these next days, especially these days leading up to your birth. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And read out of the book of Luke. The Bible says, And Jesus took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
And in the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus, we thank you for your life. We thank you even for your death. For God, in that powerful and painful act of obedience to your Father, you have blessed us with the opportunity for new life. And how interesting that is to see that only through the death of the old can we take part in the life of the new. God, allow us, cause us, command us to inc- and to live out this new life for you. God, don't ever let us uh, grow weary in doing good. I pray that the excitement of the new grows every day. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate you, to worship you, and to follow you in sacrificial love for our friends and our neighbors and those that do not yet know you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.